what was so interesting around that time is a, a couple of months after that, I did a book with Gene Wojciechowski, and, and we had a nugget in the book that said that Texas boosters had tried uh, to hire Nick Saban, which I think most people knew. But we had a source that said that they had offered him more than $100 million. And Texas fans tried to act like, we don't want Nick Saban. He's old, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know we, and, it, yeah, I just think back on some of that now and, and laugh because – they they acted like they really didn't care about it. And, and the bottom line is they did want Saban, uh, and Saban was offered the job, and he considered it. Uh, he just he he said to me and to anyone who would uh, confront him with this that the reason he didn't go to Texas, he said this privately, he didn't say it publicly, was he did not want to have to answer to ten or fifteen different boosters who all felt like they owned the, the franchise. It was it was. A little bit of a, a the Jerry Jones complex or the Boone Pickens complex in, in college football in the past, and that has always haunted Texas. Uh, uh, and by the way, it also haunted the University of Alabama until Nick Saban walked in there in 2007 and went to Booster Club meeting after Booster Club meeting and said, "Listen, I run this place. You stay the blank out of my way." Hey. What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I'm going to level with you for a bit. There were times this offseason when I would sit down, I would plan a pod, and I'd go, well, time to get a little creative because not a whole lot of news. Today, though, is not one of those days. Mm -hmm. And how fitting with us now going to two pods a week for the rest of the year. That's right, two pods a week, rest of the year. Days are going to be a little bit TBD, a little bit touch and go for now until we get into the start of the season that we're going to have a little bit more of a regular schedule, but wanted to make sure people know that. So you heard Paul Feinbaum with the intro. Great interview with him coming up a bit later. We're going to dig into all the Alliance stuff with Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12. Um, so I promise I'm not just skipping that and like going past why, even though I think it's kind of easy to poke fun at it because of how reactionary a lot of this stuff is with the SEC, it's pretty much their only move. But again, we'll, we'll get to that later with Feinbaum. Also talk some Texas stuff, a little bit of just the, the changing landscape in college football. And he's got a lot of uh, a lot of great takes as usual. Wait, as soon as you um, heard that, did you not think of that episode um from the office, oh, the when, they office. Were on the, yes. when they were on the island or whatever, they were doing the games, and Dwight just walks up and he's like, would you like to form an alliance? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you're that a different was the episode. No, 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 the episode, The Alliance, in season one of The Office. Oh, That's there you go, yeah. That's what I you were getting to. Yeah, yeah, even, yeah. Even more spot on. But anybody who's ever watched Survivor knows that The Alliance is a very sacred sacred term whatever you want to call it i watched like I, I watched like probably a dozen seasons of that show way back in the day mm -hmm. i don't know if alliance has ever been used more than it had until that show but that that specific episode of the alliance is where you saw all the memes and stuff like that great social coming out of the sat down south account as well mm -hmm. um but so i've got a new regular segment that i want to do i've got boat horror stories and figuring it out little <laughs> Little experience over the weekend. We got just but a whole first. a whole bevy of SEC content today, man. We got every part. We got five bomb boat disasters. We got everything. Man, when they say get some, get you someone who can do it all, right here, <laughs> right here. Hit that subscribe button right now. But first, preseason AP poll takeaways. 
The AP Top 25 came out on Monday, in case you missed it. We have that on SaturdayDownSouth.com, or if you just type in AP Top 25, you want to follow along as I'm talking about some of this stuff, feel free to do so. It's not like the SEC preseason poll, thankfully. Everyone has the same sheet of music, which is really nice. That's how you know the season's starting to get going. (laughs) Good point. Everybody does have the same sheet of music. You can't just type it in and come up with a bunch of different, you know, eight different publications. AP Top 25 is kind of the, the consensus poll i take it more seriously than than i do the coaches poll who you know who knows who exactly that is filling that whole thing out mm-hmm. i'm a little bit surprised that bama at number one was so close to unanimous right 47 of the 63 first place votes went to bama six to oklahoma six to clemson one to ohio state three to georgia you know that i think that previous season performance should dictate most of how the poll should shake out in the preseason and alabama national champs yeah i get it part of this i i think though is of the top six teams oklahoma is the only one with a returning full-time starting quarterback jt daniels returning starter but limited sample size same with dj uyangalale not a full-time starter had those two starts in trevor lawrence's absence there's not that preseason top five team who is all the boxes checked. And Oklahoma is that only team who has the returning full time starting quarterback. And as I'll get to in a minute here, they don't check all those boxes. So that even includes Alabama though, because I could ask a ton of questions about the offense. And it's not just whether or not we think Bill O'Brien is gonna work or whether or not Bryce Young is gonna be able to live up to the bar set by Mac Jones and Tua Tungvaloa. The number two receiver thing, alongside John Mechie, wondering about that. Can John Mechie be a number one? Don't know. Can Brian Robinson, in his fifth year at Alabama, be a true workhorse back? I don't know. What about my guy Billingsley? Billingsley! He's in the doghouse right now. Can he get out? I don't know. Evan Neal playing a new position at left tackle. I don't know how that's going to look. I imagine he's going to be really good. But there are questions about this team and about this offense. So that's why at Alabama at number three in my preseason top 25 behind Clemson at number one and Georgia at number two, though I don't necessarily disagree with the logic of putting Bama at one because it did just kind of feel like if you fill one of these things out, well, there's not that overwhelmingly obvious candidate at number one. So let's just go with old reliable Alabama, whatever. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time thinking twice about that. I'm more surprised though that Oklahoma is starting at number two. And I've talked a lot of pro-Oklahoma propaganda, whatever (laughs) you want to call it. I'm I'm buying Oklahoma to a certain extent this offseason because of the defense, what Alex Grinch is bringing to the table. I think this is Lincoln Riley's best team that he has had there, their best chance to win a playoff game. But I wouldn't put Oklahoma at number two in a preseason poll when three of those four playoff losses weren't particularly close and Oklahoma didn't look like it was a team on that level. Some might hear that and say, well, then how would you rank Georgia ahead of Alabama? Georgia hasn't beat Alabama since 2007. But look at those three games that we're talking about here. And that's Kirby Smart era just talking about that. In 180 minutes of football, Kirby led for 98 minutes and 55 (laughs) seconds of that time. Alabama only led... Yeah, Alabama only led for 31 minutes and 27 seconds against Georgia. That's why it's a little bit different to say that Georgia can be a better team than Alabama if they stepped on the field and played tomorrow, as opposed to saying Oklahoma is better than Georgia, is better than Clemson. Oklahoma played in 240 minutes of playoff football, not including overtimes, led for 62 minutes and 30 seconds. None of that, of course, came in those last two appearances, LSU and Alabama. So that's why it's just tougher 
not necessarily wrong, but just tougher to say that they deserve number two in the AP poll type of love. Two biggest snubs. And we're just talking overall top 25. I'm going to sound biased in saying this a little bit, but whatever. Ole Miss and Liberty. Shout out to Hugh Freeze. Shout out to Malik Willis. Little teaser to the Feinbaum interview. That is not the last Liberty reference of this pod. I'm blown away, though, that those two teams aren't ranked. Ole Miss was second in receiving votes, and Liberty was fourth, so that makes them like 27th and 29th unofficially. Arizona State! Arizona State, number 25. I'm not even sure they're going to have a full coaching staff this year because basically once a week, it's like, oh, Arizona State having a coach leave because of the fallout of this whole recruiting scandal because they just decided to host a bunch of recruits during COVID when it was supposed to be a dead period. And they basically said, we don't care. But sure, let's pretend that Arizona State would beat Ole Miss. Or let's look at how loaded that Ole Miss offense still is and assume that last year's defense can improve slightly and make Ole Miss a legit top 25 team. Ole Miss and Liberty would both beat Arizona Arizona State by two touchdowns. I'm sorry to Matt Barry, our, our friend. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, but that's that's just the facts. I like Jaden Daniels, slender, stud quarterback. I question some of the pieces around him, though. Liberty returns Malik Willis, in case you haven't heard of him. They also returned 90% of last year's production, according to Bill Connolly of ESPN. I know we have fun with the Malik Willis thing, but that team just went 10-1. and one. Mm-hmm. It beat two ACC teams on the road, and it beat Coastal Carolina in Orlando. The lone blemish was the one-point loss against NC State last year. So I'm not sure why Liberty would be worse this year. And with the Ole Miss thing, I just come back to this belief of, are there 24 teams in the country that I would choose to, 25 I guess, to, to beat Ole Miss on a neutral site? No way. No way. And I think that defense can be slightly better. I'm not saying it's going to be good. But even if it's slightly better, Ole Miss is a real top 25 team. For those saying preseason polls don't matter, two things I want to hit on, and then Will, I want to get some of your takeaways here. They do for Cincinnati. Number eight, Cincinnati, rather. This is the first time in the playoff era that a group of five team is starting in the top 10. You know how I feel about Cincinnati, how I predicted that they would go to the playoff. So much of that with the group of five is about actually having a path. It is there for Cincinnati. So 2013 Louisville was the last group of five teams to start in the top 10. That was back when they were in the AAC for a year during the runs that they had in the Big East and the ACC. I know that's confusing. One year in the AAC. Since these two headliner games. Well, luckily we're done with conference realignment though, so that's good. We can all just forget. Oh, right, totally. I'm sure Louisville and everybody else in the AAC is totally staying pat. since these two headliner games are number nine, Notre Dame, they'll travel to South Bend and they'll travel to number 17, Indiana. Significant. Speaking of number 17 teams, um, UCF never started better than number 17 in the preseason poll. Those, those polls that we probably spend too much time talking about, we're spending time talking about it now, they also usually shed some light on the title winner as well. Great staff from Bear Felica. All seven champs in the playoff era started in the top six. So national champion will be Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Texas A&M. Will, if I'm giving you a team outside of that seven, is there a team you'd, you would take? Man, outside of spot the on seven. One. I mean, I... 
I, I hate to go with like the homer pick, but I mean, it, I could see LSU doing well or terrible. I think they're fairly ranked, but it wouldn't shock anyone if LSU jumped yeah. up there. Uh, I think, see, Florida's a little bit harder because of the defense. You know what I'm saying? I always want to buy it on their offense, but their defense last year was just, you know, you just it's hard to buy. Um, I mean, Notre Dame, you know, they're at nine. Uh, I know they have a game against Cincinnati that's going to be big. The winner of that game could kind of be playing for a spot, just kind of given how both of their schedules kind of line up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I'm, I'm not going to say it's top-heavy necessarily, but but I, I think that most of this is shaking out the way we expected. I wouldn't pick a team outside of that top six to win yeah. the national championship. I just wouldn't. I, I, if, if I were, I would have to do the cross-reference with 24-7 sports talent, composite rankings, kind of figure out, is there a team that – could maybe overachieve and they have the talent to be able to do so. LSU, certainly one of them as well. Again, I, I think that there are still a lot of things that could stand in the way of that. And of course, but, Auburn, you can't count course, them I mean, out. you just can't. You just can't. Like, you could tell me tomorrow that Brian Harson is planning on coaching Auburn with three quarterbacks in the first game of the season. And I would still be like, well, you know, we just, we, we should probably never rule that out. Just never rule that out. Listen, I wonder how many people. Wait, real, real quick. How many people since 2013 do you think, on a yearly basis, just put that flyer down on Auburn? And I just mean, say, screw it. It can happen. Well, the crazy thing about Auburn is they even have games. Like, we were just talking about 2017 Georgia, where it's like, oh, it's the best team in America. And so it's like, you, you've hit a couple of those. If you just wake up and you're like, you know, I like Auburn today. You get this random good team. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I think that's... I think that's something that a lot of people will be thinking about as they're placing their bets this year. Will, did you have any other... Uh, any other big takeaways from the preseason AP Top 25? Um, no, I mean, I think that, like, you know, this is, a, this is a, a hard thing to do, but it's almost like we need to focus on being haters because I look up and down this list and there are so many teams I like. You know what I'm saying? There are so many teams, like, there's not, you know, this Oklahoma team that we're used to just poo-pooing as ACC fan. As we've talked about, we're yeah. both really big on Oklahoma. Um, we're both, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to speak for both of us, but... Um, I, I think we both like Cincinnati as a story. I remember you had them in one of your, your early, early um, projections. We're both. I'm sticking with the playoff prediction for that one. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So, like, I, I, it's all. There's enough teams in here that are interesting. You know, you love the Mac Brown story at North Carolina. Oregon is another team that's interesting. So I hate to just go all the way down the list, but. It seems like as a college football fan, you're so conditioned to look at the AP 25 and go, who's a fraud? You know what I'm saying? You go, who doesn't belong here? Who's going to get knocked down? Obviously, you look at maybe your Notre Dames. You know, A&M has to back it up a little bit based on what they did last year. But there's not really a team that you look at and you go, this is a flawed team. This is a team that got coasted at the end of the year, that got boosted up. I mean, like I said, you look at that Cincinnati-Georgia game, that could have gone either way. And so both of those teams have deserved to be right where they're at, you know? I kind of felt like 6 through 20 looking at the poll. And I usually don't feel like this, but you, you bring up a good point. 6 through 20 just felt like a little bit of a kind of a mishmash. Like however however you want it. I, you can usually feel like pinned down between maybe three to four spots where a specific team is going to be in this year. You know, having filled that. I didn't, I'm not an AP voter, but I do preseason top 25 every year for SDS. And that was one of the things that I kind of noticed was like, man, like I can put Wisconsin probably in a, in a range of like, I don't know, six to seven spots. I think you can make a really good case for Miami based on whether or not De'Ara King comes back. If that if that offense is able to take another step forward this year. I, I thought there were just a lot of teams where I just scratched my head and go, well, we seem to be a, a bit all over the place. Oh, here's the all over team. the place about Florida. Here's the hater yeah, team. Yeah, there you go. It. Far away. Iowa State. 
They're up really high. I don't think they didn't deserve it. But if they're there at the end of the year, a lot of stuff has gone wrong. Okay. So Iowa State is coming off its best season in school history. I know. I, 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 they deserve it. But you return, you return. And, and, and I was one of those people early on who was saying, oh, I, I'm buying the Iowa State hype. They're going to win the Big 12 this year. They're going to have an outside chance at the playoff. And then the more I thought about it, I kind of wondered if they had peaked last year a little bit. And I think it's going to be really difficult to run it back. But they're getting that sort of love in part because of what we talked about with the lack of proven starting quarterbacks in the top 10. Brock Purdy has been in Iowa State for the last 28 years. Brees Hall, leading returning rusher in all of college football. Charlie Kohler, arguably one of the best two or three tight ends in all of college football. Some people think he's better than Jalen Weidermeyer. I am not one of those people, but they return those things. They return Matt Campbell. I think they're like top 20, top 20 in percentage of returning production. So you look at all those things and you think, well, last year they had a terrible start in the opener against Louisiana, against Billy Napier's squad, and it was ugly. I watched 23rd ranked Raging Cajuns, Dude, we'll say. They they looked like they were running in quicksand. Yep. That team was horrible. I mean, it was it was ugly. Like you go back and watch them in that game and you you're like, are, why are they just going through the motions right now? Why does Louisiana look faster than a, a Power 5 team that we actually had expectations for? So they were able to kind of get through that. And I was totally down on all the Iowa State stuff when the playoff selection committee had them way, way too high in the rankings for that very reason. That like you can't lose to a, a Sunbelt team and still be considered like a fringe contender for the playoff. But whatever, that's beside the point. I think this year's a little bit different because if they're going to be able to return that much production, especially on the defensive side of the ball, then it makes it makes a difference in what they could, what their ceiling could be. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm okay with where, where they ended up. I wouldn't have been okay with them as a top five team. Some people are maybe saying that, but we'll find out a lot about them based on the Cyhawk game against a really good Iowa team. Um, and they'll have plenty of tests, and that game against Oklahoma should be really good. I'll well. say one more thing really quick. The top of the AP poll is so interesting. You know, talk about narratives going into the season because it seems like about every other year now, it's like, oh, this is Dabo's college football. Saban's top. Not that he's gone, but it's like, oh, this is it, Dabo's the king of college football. And then Saban beats him, and it's, oh, we were all dumb to question Saban. And I was down, you know, in Alabama talking to some of my relatives last week, and I said, look, like, this is the year. You know, if, if they're going to jump on Alabama, they better do it this year. Because it's the first time, I agree. You know, it's the first time that Bryce Young is going to be starting. We've even seen, you know, what I'm saying Hertz come in there and be phenomenal as a first time starter. I mean, from week one, pretty much. I mean, outside of his first snap, right? But I, I think that, you know, if you look at Alabama, you see 47 first place votes. The thing that's scary about that is this is a very young team. As you talked about, this is a team that hasn't really played together. So it's like if. They can live up to that hype, you know, they're only going to get better next year and the year after that, and they always have that talent. Um, and then, you know, um, go ahead and say the Clemson's quarterback's name again, man. DJ Uyangalale. Exactly. I'm just going to let you handle that from now on. Anyway, <laughs> I, love the Gladly. <laughs> I love the quarterback upheaval. Uh, you made a great point about that. And we always like to, especially in the media days thing, which you do and you get in the habit of, boom, you know, this year we got coming back, you know, Nick Fitzgerald, we got Jake Fromm, we got these starters that we like to root for. And there's not, and, and the big thing about college football too is a lot of guys will have a really strong sophomore season and we'll expect them to take the next step. Doesn't seem like, like you said, not a lot of these guys are coming back. You know, Ritter's obviously coming back to Cincinnati. Feels like I've been watching Ian Book at Notre Dame since I was in 
middle school. That, He's finally <laughs> gone. Yeah. That guy's on the same, sadly. But uh, anyway, so point being, that that's the fun thing about this season is that it's not this whole everybody, you know, expectations. You know, there's you got to win before you get out of college. You have this strong sophomore year, and then your junior year, it's time for the expectations. It's time to knock you down after they build you up. There's not a lot of those guys that are ready to be knocked down this year. It's there for the taking. Mm-hmm. Definitely feels like someone is going to emerge and have one of these just ridiculous seasons, and whether that's DJ Uyunglele running away with the Heisman Trophy or CJ Stroud at Ohio State, something to that level, I think is perfectly realistic to predict that for 2021. New segment. We don't have a new segment, like, like sound drop or anything like that. There we go. This is 10 minutes or less. So Ryan Rosillo, similar concept that he does with uh, NBA Talk on his show. Geico says they'll save you money on car insurance in 15 minutes or less. I'm going to make you an informed college football fan in 10 minutes or less. So beat that, Geico. Scoop, there it is. Probably, though, best commercial ever, I think. At least last I checked. Hopefully, this will be the best segment idea that has ever existed in the history of podcasting. So here's what we'll do. Because I want to keep this concise. I want to be able to hit on a few different things because there's a new he- news-heavy weekend in the SEC. Will, I'm going to have you set a timer for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to all of these SEC news nuggets in that a lot of time. Then you can react to anything I might have said at the end of that. So all I want to do, uh, or all I want you to do rather, is hold up five when I've reached the five-minute mark. Mm-hmm. And I want to give you, I want you to give me a number one when I got one minute left. Cool. So is that is that good for you? That work? All right. Easy. Let's set the timer for 10 minutes right now. Eric Gilbert has reportedly left another SEC team. There are reports that Gilbert and Kirby got into it in practice. Kirby called it personal reasons as to why Gilbert was not with the team. All I know is if a guy is away from the team in mid-August, it's not nothing. And as I've said, Georgia usually likes to keep these things totally under wraps with closing media from practices, all that stuff. I said months ago that when Gilbert said he wasn't going to Florida after all, that this whole saga was going to be far from over. But I didn't think it would take quite this turn this soon, at least. In less than nine months, the guy has told three different SEC teams, thanks, but no thanks. And maybe the Florida deal wasn't entirely that because if it was his grades, as has been reported, that's not quite walking out on a team. But the point remains, whether he ever plays for Georgia or not, Eric Gilbert needs to figure some stuff out and fast. Because now is the time in your career when you're supposed to be wrecking dudes. This is when you're supposed to be physically developing and advancing in your craft, which is you know, as a tight end or a receiver, whatever you are in 2021, there's a lot of stuff needed to take that next step. Yet, this almost feels like some Antonio Brown stuff right now. The difference is that Gilbert isn't a four-time All-Pro. He's a 19-year-old kid who played in eight college games. I honestly have no idea what's going on behind closed doors, and I'm not gonna pretend to be an expert on what people are telling him, but for Gilbert, sooner or later, outside people are gonna say that he's not worth the trouble. Sooner or later, a college football power isn't going to reach out and say, hey, come play for us, you just haven't found the right home yet. Sooner or later, you run out of chances, and you're left wondering why you couldn't capitalize on the chances that you did get. Selfishly, as a fan of watching freakishly talented people play this sport at a high level. It bums me out and I'm 
sure plenty of people in his corner are bummed out as well. As for Georgia, the timing, terrible. Jermaine Burton, Kiaris Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, all dealing with camp injuries. George Pickens out with the ACL, of course. Demetrius Robinson transferred to Auburn. This isn't great news for being less than three weeks away from that Clemson game. Remember when JT Daniels was supposed to be able to get all this time to get on the same page with his new pass catchers? This Gilbert news was another tough blow. I really hope that we see Gilbert play football in 2021, but with each passing day, I become less and less optimistic about that. Will Levis is Kentucky's starting quarterback, and Joey Gatewood is hitting the transfer portal. Glad that we hit on this last week because I said I wasn't buying the, the belief that Gatewood would be QB1 in Kentucky, and I thought that Will Levis would be. Sunday, Mark Stoops announced that uh, Will Levis is the guy. Gatewood has entered the transfer portal. Figured that this was coming. Didn't want to buy into the reports about Gatewood with the first teamers. Don't think it was an overwhelming belief that he'd be the guy, but I saw at least some of it. As for the Gatewood part of this, it's a bummer that it hasn't worked out for him yet. I'd love to see his, his career play out maybe a decade ago. I'd also love to see him come down to Orlando, maybe reunite with Gus Malzahn. Dylan Gabriel, probably gone after this year, I'd guess. You never know with those things. Would Gatewood take not, would, would he like be willing to come down to UCF and not hold it against Gus that Gus picked Bo Nix over him? I, I don't know. But Will Levis, that's the thing that Kentucky fans are going to be focusing on moving forward. First of all, Will, as you know, he eats bananas like an absolute psycho. No skin removal. He just eats the whole thing. That is a crazy person right there. I'm not sure if that's crazy good, crazy bad. We're going to find out. I, I do want your thoughts on that in a minute. As for football, I like the move to declare him the starter in mid-August. Even though there was talk that they would really try and ride this out as close as possible to the opener, you can now give him all the reps with the ones. Remember, summer enrollee. So those reps are very, very valuable for him. And he could truly learn this offense. He is a dual threat guy. This isn't Jared Goff 2.0. You might need a little bit of that at Kentucky this year, especially if these receivers can't consistently get separation. Liam Cohen wants to scheme as much as possible for Wondell Robinson, Josh Ali, but you still need guys who can create in man coverage. And I think Kentucky lacks a lot of those guys right now. So whether it's design runs or, or whatever it is for Will Levis, you need someone who can not necessarily put you behind the sticks whenever the throwing lanes aren't there. But this is just a reminder of how different Kentucky will feel. It's just with, with what it wants to do from a schematic standpoint. I really want to see Levis in this system with a bit of time because I think he's definitely going to need that. Luke Doty suffered a foot injury in practice last Friday. Got his foot stepped on. Hate it when that happens. Hate it even more when it's a significant injury and you're going to miss some time. There's speculation that the South Carolina quarterback could be out for the year. Beamer said, thank God it's not as serious as we thought. It doesn't sound like Doty will be out for the year. It also doesn't sound like he'll be the starter for at least the opener, maybe more. As I said with Kevin Harris, you shouldn't need Doty to beat Eastern Illinois. Jimmy Garoppolo, Tony Romo, they're not walking on in that field. The problem is that second game is at East Carolina. As Chris Phillips of the Spurs Up Show said, that game is huge for South Carolina's bowl aspirations. That doesn't feel like a game that you can lose and then be able to win, uh, you know, go to a bowl game. You know, Maybe this team doesn't have bowl aspirations with a healthy Luke Doty. FanDuel has the over-under for regular season wins at four, but 
that feels like the game. South Carolina can't lose and go to bowling. Is that maybe a bit overblown? I, I don't know. I mean, we forget that Tennessee lost to Georgia State and BYU in 2019 and then still ended up going to a bowl game and winning it. No, we don't actually forget that, Will. I was kidding. Um, but Luke Doty's injury is significant because that's two more weeks of incredibly valuable reps that he's missing out on in a new offense with a largely new group of receivers. One of those receivers, to carry and Joyner, might get reps at quarterback. That's what Beamer said. Joyner has been all in at learning the receiver position. And if you don't know the story, uh, this is the type of thing that you could have read about in 1975 and you would have been like, that kid just gets it. Takarian Joyner is one of those guys that has, I mean, as cliche as it is, he has put the team first at every single stop, was really hoping to be able to see more of him at receiver last year. Pandemic might have interrupted some of the, those reps that he could have gotten, and he wasn't able to make a truly significant impact. But people forget, he beat Georgia 2019. South Carolina is awfully thin at both receiver and quarterback. Jason Brown, grad transfer from FCS St. Francis, as we know when we pulled out the map a few months ago, that is in Pennsylvania. The guy, unfortunately though, basically has one season of reps at the FCS level. Well, that's it. So do you turn to the true freshman, Colton Gauthier? I think it's Gauthier. I think it's got a little French influence there, I believe. Dude has some sick Steven Garcia-like flow. I do know that. Plays the guitar. Um, can he read the blitzing Mike linebacker at the line of scrimmage and know where his protections are? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. South Carolina was already in a brutal spot. Two-win team, ranked 125 out of 127 in percentage of returning production. Not, not a great spot to be in. Then you have the Kevin Harris injury in camp. Karen Prunty, the Kansas transfer cornerback, he hit the transfer portal again. That was last week. I put him as my number 10 transfer in the SEC, and then the report came out about him hitting the portal like two hours after that, I think. So that was great. That was a lot of fun to deal with. Uh, what does all of this mean? We're going to find out a ton about Shane Beamer in the first month of 2021. And I love the attitude. If you didn't see the speech that went semi-viral, at least in college football circles, of, of just being brutally honest and talking about, you know, it's bull crap and, you know, doom and gloom and how that can't be the approach for South Carolina fans. And he thinks that he can figure this thing out. Look, I'm not saying Shane Beamer can't figure this thing out in year one, but it's awfully difficult to figure out if you don't have a quarterback. And if they're rushing Luke Doty back because they look up and they're suddenly one and one, and they've already lost that game, East Carolina. That's not great. And I have very um, cautiously optimistic expectations for the long-term future of that offense. But in the short term, that's not exactly a formula for success, having your starting quarterback and your starting tailback, probably the two most important pieces of that offense banged up at the start of camp. All right, Will, where are we at? How much time do I have left? Uh, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. All right. We got under. We hit the under. That's pretty good. All right. I'm going to cut it off right there. That was good. We did 930. Surprised. I thought it was definitely going to go over by at least three minutes, but we cut it down. Will, anything uh, else that stands out to you about any of those things or anything else right now? Man, I, I went ahead and muted myself to keep you through the time thing, and you're just like, Eric Gilbert. And I was like, <laughs> ah! <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I just, you know, we've, we've talked about him. 
Uh, feel, I feel bad for him. Hope he finds his spot. You brought up the Antonio Brown comp. I feel like a one that I hate to say, but I feel like it's probably Randy Moss. Uh, he was, you know, Notre mm-hmm. Dame, FSU, Marshall. You can see him maybe ended up with Gus Malzahn at UCF or something in a couple of years. Uh, ended up, you know, figuring it out. But I don't know. I, you know, feel feel really bad for South Carolina. Obviously, you know, big Shane Beamer fans, both of us. Um, it's a guy that I. The situation he's walking into is hard, and it keeps getting harder. And as hard as it is, you know, it's almost like you don't want to evaluate too much out of this year because they had such attrition. You talked about it, and now they're, you know, um, Kevin Harris obviously got hurt, and Luke Doty got hurt. So it's like, ah, like you just feel so bad for the guy. But yeah, it's just been, it's been a fun, uh, been an eventful, like you said, been an eventful week of practice. The Randy Moss comp is good, and I don't know what Eric Gilbert's next step looks like. Danny Cannell often talks about what could have happened had Randy Moss been able to stay on the roster at Florida State and how they would have won a national championship immediately with him. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that you look back on and you're actually kind of glad that he got the showcase that he did where all of a sudden you have Randy Moss dominating dudes at Marshall who just should not be on the same field as him. And, and, and some of the competition was just comical to, to look back on. But Eric Gilbert's probably going to get another chance if it's not at Georgia then he'll get another chance somewhere else because he's too good not to of course but as these issues start to pile up you wonder what's the you know for lack of a better term the come to Jesus moment that he has where he's able to to truly figure it out and I don't know how legit the reports are that it was a disagreement in camp some some people I saw saying you know looking at at some of the certain people who have left Georgia and wondering about if this is a Kirby issue. I I tend to think that there's at least something going on with Derek Gilbert. That's just too atypical for there not to be something significant going on there. Saban had such a good point about that, you know, and it's, you know, you got to respect Saban for all the stuff he's done. He had such a good point about, uh, you know, whenever a kid, this must have been about a year ago, I'm sure you heard this, said, you know, he uh, was at Michigan State, he had somebody get in trouble, and they said, you know, people want to kick him off the team. It's like, so then what? So he can go back home, he could do more bad stuff, or we could keep him here, get him in a situation where he's happy, and we can work with him. And, and it's it's so wild that the first response a lot of the time is to just kick a guy off the team. And, and we've seen so many guys succeed in their second stop, uh, you know, Mettenberger, Cam, all these guys. But the thing about Gilbert is just like, you got to wonder what that program would be. Maybe like a Bama or a Clemson where it's like, you get in here and you don't talk to anybody, bro. Like you, you don't go, oh, you don't leave. You don't, like, we take your phone. Like, you just need to be here for two years and leave. Like, I, I don't know what he needs, man. Garden City, Kansas? I don't know. <laughs> like, seriously. Last chance it. you, I, yeah. I mean, I, t- I talked to Terry Wilson about that and about his experience out there. And Terry Wilson didn't have anything wrong with what he did at the start of his career at Oregon. He was just a guy who walked on campus and realized, crap, Justin Herbert's in my same class. You know? He's really freaking good. Who among us? I, right. I mean, it happens to the best of us. But I kind of think that he needs a place like that where it's not going to be this high-profile thing where – People are talking about how great he is all the time. Yeah. And, and maybe he does need that coach to just sit him down and say, look, man, this is this is just not the way that this is going to go. And not to say that he hasn't had discipline, because I, I think obviously he has. That's why he's been in and out at these places. And I don't know what his future is at Georgia or if he's going to play there this year. But what I do know is that stuff like this doesn't happen every day. And it's certainly feeling more and more unique with each passing day. Today's podcast is brought to you by College Football Uncensored. If you haven't subscribed to our newest college football podcast, 
you should be subscribed already. It's Marler, it's Tyler Huck, and they're talking college football in their own unique way. No bleep button. They just had our good friend Steven Garcia on, who lets it fly about as much as any human being I've ever talked to, I think. They're doing all their team preview stuff right now, but they'll keep it light and loose. They've got a two podcast a week format going right now, so it's not gonna clog your feed with a daily podcast or something like that. I know that they're having a ton of fun right now. They're gonna have a ton of fun this season. They'll break it all down as only they can. So if you have not, go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to College Football Uncensored today. Let's kick into my interview with Feinbaum. When we first switched to this pod format back in late January. Paul was the first guest I had on. So I guess it was fitting to bring him back when we switched to two pods a week. So here is Paul Feinbaum. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Paul Feinbaum. Paul, last time I had you on was about, I think it was like six and a half months ago, but it might as well have been six and a half years ago, given all that's gone on in college football this off season. We were just talking about that off air. I've got a million things I want to get to with you, but one of those million things was you getting your new contract. You're, you're pretty well versed in the whole like new deal announcement and all that. But, uh, but when those types of things, like when that comes out, I always wonder how do you personally treat yourself? Is it like a big steak? Do you get a new car, a boat? Like what's the, what's the one thing that Paul Feinbaum will splurge for? It's a good question because, it, it, as you know, Connor, when those things are announced, it's usually four or five weeks after the deal has been done. So True. I will tell you where I was when I read about the new deal. I was, I was sitting on the uh, uh, tarmac at, at the airport, uh, delayed for two and a half hours heading to media days. and it was, it was a great place to be because people that you haven't heard from in three years since the last new deal suddenly check in with you. Uh, and so, and, and I, I mean, I, you can go, I mean, you know, what normally things would be busy, but you know, once the pandemic happened, uh, you, you, you may be the only person that checked in with me during those 16 uh, months. Um, so you're sitting there. Uh, and, and by the way, I don't mean to go off on something. Can you, can you answer me a question? Uh, sure. Let's go. If, if, so, if somebody texts you, which which happened that day, and you have no, you don't even have a, you have no earthly idea who they are, because your name is clearly not, uh, in their, their name is clearly not in your contact. Uh, I mean, is it rude to say who are you, or you, you just act like you know them and go, hey, uh, thanks so much, it means a lot that you would check in with me, even in parentheses, even though I have no earthly idea who you are. Okay, well, with you, I think it's different because. A lot more people know you compared to you knowing them. And I'm sure you get that all the time. Somebody that maybe even people that you've had on your show who if you've had them on maybe once before, they feel like they know you. And that, I think that's a compliment to you. So when random people text you like that, a congratulatory, hey, congrats on the new deal and you have no idea who it is, I, I elect for maybe the thumbs up emoji, um, you know, okay. appreciate it, guy, sport, just like the most generic thing you can possibly call it. <laughs> I just wonder, because you're, you're younger than me, a little hipper, you know, my generation, yeah. you know, we didn't have emojis, so I, I'm trying to learn, but, but back to your original question, it, I, 
anything nowadays is complicated. So it was, uh, I, I did feel great uh, to kind of wrap that up. And I, I had one goal. Uh, I will say this to you for the, uh, I don't think I've said this to anyone because frankly, I have a, uh, uh, my deal was announced on Monday and then Wednesday, Texas and Oklahoma. So I'm sitting there going, is somebody interviewing me about my new deal? And everyone goes, I will, we'll, uh, maybe next time. Um, so my point being, Connor, um, I, I had a goal uh to not have a, it was like a little game with myself because my last deal three years ago, I don't know if you remember, for some oh, reason yeah. it got into the media and it was like every every day somebody was speculating I was going to the Big Ten network, I was going to this network, and I had a goal this time, not a word is getting out. And I, I held true. Uh, a couple of friends of mine checked in with me and I, I just kind of, hey, what's going on? Nothing. I, I tried to act like, because uh, I, you know, I just felt like, Sometimes you can't you can't do that every time. You can't have drama every time something happens in your life. So I, I was most pleased we got to the announcement without a single speculation, which is good in one way. But I'm afraid that it also showed my relevance in the society of of, of sports broadcasters may have slipped. That not one person knew that my contract was up or cared. Here's what I think you need to do next time, because we know a few years from now, SEC Media Days, you're going to have another deal announced. You need to respond to one of those people that doesn't have that you don't like know who it is. You need to respond to them next time and just leak that news and let them break the news. And then you'll figure out who that person is. Yeah, uh, I, I will, because because frankly, uh, based on the lack of aggressiveness from the media the last time, I, I hope there's one person out there the next time that really cares. Anytime I ever hear someone push back on, on your contract or what you do, I always tell them that they have no idea how hard it is to do 20 hours a week on live air, essentially a simulcast. That breaks down, if you want to do the math, it's like, you know, a thousand hours a year, give or take, that you're on your own airwaves, you know, and that doesn't include all the other stuff that you do, Sports Center, Get Up, College Football Live, SDS Podcast, you know, et cetera. But I know that right. when the news breaks, like the Texas, Oklahoma stuff at ICC Media Days, that's when you really earn your money because if I recall, that, that totally shifted your show that day. And, you know, how, so how did you handle all of that? Because for the rest of us, that story felt legit once SEC Network started talking about it directly at SEC Media Days. Well, I'll go a little bit back, and you know, this either—I don't know what this says about me—but I had heard something about this about a week and a half earlier. A guy called me out of the blue, somebody I knew well, and and you know, I respected him, but that didn't mean he was right. Uh, and then a couple of days later, I, I, I was on vacation, uh, and I got back, and somebody that would be in the know called me. And at the end of the conversation, I casually mentioned this crazy rumor, <laughs> and I got, like, the longest silence. Uh, I don't know if I'd, I'd had uh, anybody on the phone that had been this silent to me since I was 16 and asked some really uh, nice girl out on a date, and she just, like, never responded. Um, and... I knew then it was in play. Uh, so by the time I got to Birmingham, uh, I was prepared for something to happen. Let me put it that way. And so I, I say that only because if you had told me three weeks earlier, uh, I, I might have laughed at the story. It just didn't sound right. But so, so I was sitting there um, on that day. The story we had uh, because uh, something had gone wrong. Uh, I don't know if it was. Uh, I really don't remember which coach it was. 
uh, his press conference had gone along, which, you know, so we go on as soon as the, like the last pre- on television, the la- once the last press conference ends on the big stage. So we didn't get show, uh, our show on, on the SEC network until a little bit later. So the story broke while I was still on radio. I was interviewing a guy about the quarterback position at Alabama while the story broke. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I've, I have like 10 more minutes of this guy that I've got to hear about Bryce Young battling with two <laughs> other guys. And, and then – but. Fortunately, to my left, I, uh, I saw Ross Bjork uh, in, engulfed by a bunch of people, probably including you. And, and then we walk out to the big set, and I kind of look at somebody like, are we supposed to talk about this story or what? I mean, like, I, I don't, you know, yeah, yeah, we, we have a, an interesting relationship, as you know, Connor, with the league. And the first thing I know, uh, guess who's on our, our set? Jimbo Fisher. So it wasn't like I could not ask him. He'd already been asked about it. Uh, so we started with Jimbo Fisher. Uh, then we had Ross Bjork on. And then about uh, then we had a couple of guests that kind of laughed it off. And then finally we had Brent Zwerneman on from the Houston Chronicle who had broken it. And I wasn't really sure what he was going to say. And he was absolute in terms of, you know, backing up the story and saying it was. And at that moment, the thing took a pretty wicked turn. Uh, even Even the naysayers were going, oh, my goodness, this sounds pretty legit. So. It was in play then, and it was a wild day. But, you know, I'm a former newspaper guy, and, uh, and days like that don't come along very often. So uh, you, you somewhat live for them. Uh, you're, you're ready for it, uh, and, and you, you really embrace the moment. Here's a good hypothetical for you. What happens first? Texas or Oklahoma wins an SEC title or someone from uh, the Alliance I don't know if they're going to stick with that name. I think Jim and Dwight have that kind of carved out from that episode of The Office, but that's a different discussion for a, diff- for a different time. But someone from the Alliance, which is the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12, one of those teams wins a national title. So what do you have more faith in, Texas or Oklahoma in the SEC, or one of those three conferences actually finally yielding uh, a national champ? But I guess, well, Clemson has won national titles, but you know, let's be honest, the ACC is pretty much Clemson or bust. Yeah, I think again, I keep keep. I think it's possible that uh, I'd probably lean a little more toward the the quote unquote alliance winning because we just don't we just don't know when the, the SEC situation is is going to happen, and, and then you know will will it ha- will one of them win right, right away? So I think it's probably easier to bet the field uh, even in the age of, of Saban. With the way that this new alliance deal is set up. The us versus them thing, it's going to ramp up even more. I saw a lot of SEC fans kind of pounding their chest saying, bring it on, let's go. Given how non-SEC college football fans react to you, usually on a daily basis, are you now going to become even more hated? Is that how this is going to work? I don't know. It, it, what's, it's complicated. Uh, <laughs> I start with that because I've had, uh, I mean, throughout my very long career. I've, I've had battles with a, with a number of fan bases, but Texas just happens to be pretty recent in my list. <laughs> I, uh, I was asked a couple of months ago about their relevancy, and I said what I thought any objective person would say, that they're, they're, they were not particularly relevant in the, in the college football conversation. But uh, Oklahoma, I'm okay with. I mean, I, I, am, I am really okay with both. I, I, I can't wait because I, I think Texas fans are going to be just so much fun. And, you know, do they remind me of anyone in particular? You, you, they're a little bit of a hybrid of, of a few fan bases in, uh, in, in the SEC, maybe Alabama. 
Florida because they've, they've been so successful, but they, they are currently struggling for that. Where, where Oklahoma has always been relevant, uh, even when they haven't won national championships, they've still been part of the conversation. But Texas fans are different. Uh, there's an air about them, Connor, as you know, that, that I don't think even Alabama fans have. I mean, they, there is almost a – well, there is a superiority complex, I think, that they – they rather and they they don't they don't run away from it either. They don't say like oh, what are you talking about? I mean they embrace it. They they know who they are. So I I think the the battles between Texas and and literally everyone in the SEC will be crazy. Do you look back on any of that stuff with Tom Herman and try and find like some of your old takes about him or Texas becoming relevant because. It would be fascinating to compare it to now with Sark because I think a lot of people look at this situation and say, well, if you get a guy who's considered one of, if not the best offensive minds in the sport going, then theoretically that should turn around Texas. But we're saying the exact same stuff about Tom Herman four years ago. And for whatever reason, Texas found a way to to sort of squander that and it didn't really work. Where do you kind of stand on all this and some of the comps with, with Sark and, and Herman and, and the mistakes that he can avoid? Well, I, I think the, the program, and, and this would be applicable to a lot of programs uh, around college football, that they have to be consistent for a while. And you just can't keep turning your program over. And, and I think a lot – I remember sitting uh, out in College Station in 2000 – and I believe it was 13 for the, uh, the famous Johnny Manziel Alabama rematch game. Mm-hmm. And just the feeling that day, uh, I was doing college game day that year because the SEC network had not started. And I did a piece on Mac Brown and, you know, it, you, you could feel it coming to an end for him. And uh, while A&M, even though it lost that day, had, had really overtaken them, recruiting mistakes, et cetera. And they just never got it right. And what was so interesting around that time is a a couple of months after that, I did a book with Gene Wojciechowski, and and we had a nugget in the book that said that Texas boosters had tried uh, to hire Nick Saban, which I think most people knew. But we had a source that said that they had offered him more than $100 million. And Texas fans tried to act like, we don't want Nick Saban. He's old, (laughs) you know. Uh, you know, we, and it, yeah, I just think back on some of that now and, and laugh because they they acted like they really didn't care about it. And, and the bottom line is they did want Saban, uh, and Saban was offered the job, and he considered it. Uh, he just he he said to me and to anyone who would uh, confront him with this that the reason he didn't go to Texas, he said this privately, he didn't say it publicly, was he did not want to have to answer to. 10 or 15 different boosters who all felt like they owned the, the franchise. It was, it was a little bit of a, a, the Jerry Jones complex or the Boone Pickens complex in, in college football in the past. And that has always haunted Texas. Uh, uh, and by the way, it also haunted the university of Alabama until Nick Saban walked in there in 2007 and went to booster club meeting after booster club meeting and said, listen, I run this place. You stay the blank out of my way. That's what you need for a program to be successful and Texas hasn't found that yet. And they and if, if, if they continue to have the same issues off the field, uh, Sarkeesian won't be as, as successful as, the, as his resume indicates that he will be. Have you done the sliding doors with Saban in Texas? It's, it's one that's, that's been talked about a lot, but you, you, you mentioned the dynamic there at Alabama and how Saban changed that. 
I think it's different changing it to Texas versus Alabama just because of how deep those pockets are at Texas. I've always said I'd love to just go into a big Texas workplace on a Monday in college football season and chat up boosters from AM and Texas and even get some of the Baylor guys involved and just kind of see the way that they talk about their specific programs. But have you played that out? Like, how does Saban? change Texas' tra trajectory and maybe how does that change the SEC conversation that we're having now about Texas had Saban gone there when that opportunity was available? Well, I, I do believe he would have been successful um, because he would have done the, he, he would have had a similar blueprint that he had at Alabama. I am in charge. Uh, and, 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 and that's the only way to make it work. So uh, Texas has uh, Texas has more resources than Alabama, so uh, it, it could have easily been done. It's not that difficult to be successful in college athletics. Uh, we we watched Tennessee uh, fall for the past fifteen years. Why? Because you know it, it's you know uh, how many how many different chancellors has the university had? How many different athletic directors and how many different football coaches? You cannot run a successful football uh, program and a successful athletic department. If, if that number is as high as it is at, at Tennessee and ultimately at Texas, uh, you know, every one of the choices, I mean, Charlie Strong was not a bad choice. He just was doomed almost from the beginning uh, because of the interference with, guess what, boosters. Uh, Herman was a superb choice. I mean, there, everyone wanted Tom Herman uh, back then, and you know, he just got taken down by – by, by what what he inherited, and he couldn't he couldn't turn that corner. And I, I don't know. Uh, Sarkeesian has a chance. What what Texas will just have to be patient when they don't win uh, as quickly as they think they are going to. And with the boosters now and the name image likeness era at places like Texas, how do they? I mean, how do they not become? more involved in the program too. That, that's, that's the thing that I think a lot of presidents and athletic directors who have resisted this probably as much as they love having those deep pockets available to pay their coach buyouts and all those different things, they probably do fear that a little bit. And you see even at places like BYU where they're setting up NIL deals for walk-ons and, and the rest of the roster as well. And so I, I do kind of wonder about that with, uh, with a place like Texas that already has probably too much involvement from those people uh, on the outside that are kind of on the inside. But, um, you know, with the Alliance, I want to kind of get back to that. And I'm sure you're going to talk about that so much this week. So I guess this is just a little bit of a tune up for you. But this kind of seems like the only move that the ACC, the Big Ten and Pac-12 can really make. Right. Because individually, none of them stand a chance to match the SEC's brand, the TV revenue, the talent, all of those things. Dare I say, though, Kevin Warren actually might be part of something that doesn't sound totally stupid. Is that fair? Uh, listen, I think Kevin Warren's a really smart guy. Um, and I, I think he outsmarted himself a year ago. Uh, yeah. he was thinking, uh, he was thinking health first. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. Health being more important than football, but, uh, he, he just, he moved too quickly. Uh, and we all know that now. And that's why he came back. Greg Sankey and others, uh, were more cautious, but, I don't think there's any choice right now, but I also don't think this really means very much. So what if they have conversations and what if they are trying to figure out a solution and what if they, they all decide to block the SEC at every turn? So what? Uh, they're hurting themselves. Uh, the, the thing that has really irritated me the most, Connor, in the, in the last four, three weeks 
and I'm sure I get I'll get labeled. Well, you're just uh, you work at ESPN and you're an SEC homer. Well, good good for you. I'm, I, that, that's original. Come up with uh, you know come up with something else the next time. Um, but how can you blame ESPN? And how can you blame uh, Greg Sankey for Texas and Oklahoma? And are, and who, who is end up, who in the end is going to get hurt by? Waiting to uh, 2025 to to have to change the college football playoff and opening it up so Fox can get involved. Uh, that's fine with. I don't really care who. Uh, my my concern is not who televises it. I want to see the thing move sooner rather than later. And if the if the SEC doesn't uh, get the 12 team playoff until four years from now, then who cares? Uh, the, uh, Greg Sankey can live with that. Can Bob Bowlesby? Uh, can Kleokov, can Warren, and, and can Jim Phillips? And the answer is no, because they need it more than the SEC needs it. And, and I just think it's a very narrow and, 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 and intellectually dishonest argument that I hear from a lot of people that want to talk about, well, it needs to be opened up to the market. It was opened up to the market uh, the last time. ESPN paid for it. <laughs> I mean, uh, without, without ESPN, the Big 12 would not exist today. They saved it. I mean, ESPN has – has been good for college football. Let's let's quit uh, acting like uh, there's some you know there's some foreign agent here trying to uh, destroy the game so they can make more money. Uh, they are, uh, you know, and I and I'm, I'm maybe I'm impatient, but I just think we need to get to that 12 team playoff as fast as possible. And I think that's a little bit more important than the Rose Bowl getting a, a favored nation status at four o'clock on. On, on New Year's Day, uh, that, that's, I mean, college football is more important than that one game. I'm not saying it's not a great game. I've been there. I've watched it. Uh, let's do whatever we can to preserve the Rose Bowl, but let's not destroy college football in the process. Maybe I'm just saying this because I watched Goodfellas in the last week or so, but I kind of feel like the Big 12 to the Rose Bowl is like, um, if we're talking about, you know, gangsters, mafia movies, all that stuff, it's it's kind of like they're you know they're they're like the local postman and their relationship with the mob or like the police with the mob and how <laughs> they all just kind of bow down to them and it's strange because yeah it's got its prestige it's great it's a bucket list thing in college football but if this is the thing holding you back from properly evaluating college football expansion this is just a wild thought to, to have. The SEC doesn't care about things like that. It's not like, well, the Sugar Bowl said this. And the Big Ten, for whatever reason, is stuck up on you know the Rose Bowl and AAU accreditations. And for me, I, I feel like I have to, to just like, Open, like I, I, just have to, I just have to sit there and wonder, what in the world is the Big Ten thinking? Is the Big Ten ever going to figure this out? Well, I'm not sure they will because, Connor, it's a, the, same, the same issue that, the two of us have had for three and a half weeks. They have, they they have as well. Except for them, it, it really matters for us. It's just speculation. There are no, there aren't any really good moves left out there. And yeah. and if you told me, okay, if, if you're Kevin Warren, you're a smart guy, make a move. Uh, let's get somebody else into this league. We're, who are you going to get? I mean, you've already got three schools that really don't belong, that don't do anything for you. Uh, that don't help you in any way. Uh, are you going to add more? Uh, with all due respect, I think Cincinnati has a fantastic football program uh, and, a, and a basketball program. Are they really going to add to the Big Ten? No, they, they don't really. They don't. They don't really help them geographically. Uh, they don't really help them in any way. Uh, Iowa State, 
doesn't help. Uh, they, they've got, hey, the Big Ten's got Iowa nailed down, okay? Uh, they, they don't need uh, they don't they don't they don't need to add another television market when they have the University of Iowa. So, I and, and Notre Dame is really off the table. Uh, Notre Dame only has one move, and that's the ACC. Uh, and you know that, that that's a tired subject. Uh, so I, I really don't know what. I mean, the Big Ten would be better off kicking schools out than adding adding schools at this point. And uh, and you know, I left two out. By the way, there there really are only two options for the Big Ten. And they are the doomsday option, and that's Southern Cal and Oregon. You add Southern Cal and Oregon, uh, and suddenly you've got a pretty good league. But is that realistic? I think it has to be. I, I think that that would be the only other move. If you're talking about expansion, you have to make a play for that. And then, you know, you get the Pac-12 all of a sudden upset, and who knows if that, you know, cripples the the alliance negotiations, all those different things. But um, I, I want to shift back to 2021 a bit. Because there are a couple of things we talked about when I was on your show last week, and I can tell that you disagreed with, but you didn't do the full <laughs> pushback. I always note those moments. I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to circle circle this one, come back to it later. I ranked Mike Leach as my number 12 coach in college football, which some might say, you know, a bit ridiculous because of the year that he just had. I would argue that two decades of elite offenses should outweigh the typical year one struggles that he's had in every place that he's been. So I'm asking you now on these airwaves, are you out on Leach as a top 15 coach in the sport? Yeah, and by the way, inside baseball here, a lot of times when you're on, I do that little notation like, uh, Connor, hold on a second. It's not so much that I disagree. (laughs) I'm trying to alert the guys in the other room. This guy just said something really important. Uh, I know you're in there talking and having a good time, but I I mean, it's just kind of an old trick of mine that – I want I want the audience and I want uh, our guys to know that we just heard something because sometimes I mean I, I know it sounds crazy but sometimes people don't listen to every word said on on a show the the host, the host has to uh, everybody else doesn't um, I don't think Mike Leach is a top fifteen coach right now I mean I I respect him uh, to be a successful head coach nowadays you have to do more than just coach and my biggest fault of Mike Leach is he just doesn't do very much other than show up at the game and, and, and call the plays. And, and I, I think he's making a mistake. And I think he, that's why he, he, he runs into trouble with his, with his, uh, with ultimately with his, with not only his fan base, but with the people that employ him. And I, 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 I realize we just got through COVID uh, we're still going through it. I don't mean to say it's over, but I wonder how many times Mike Reach has reached out in that community that he lives in to try to, you know, make it, you know, to, 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 to develop and, and, and further the football cause. And, and I'm willing to bet you that very few people in that town know Mike Reach. Wait, 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 hold on. Let me, let me make sure I understood you correctly. Did I, did I mm-hmm. do that right? Was that good? That was good. Okay. Um, let me make sure I understand what you're saying, because one of the things that, that I thought you couldn't criticize Moorhead for, Joe Moorhead, my guy, as everybody listening to this probably knows, somebody that I went to bat for a ton, and obviously, yeah. you know, I, I whiffed. But one of the things that he did extremely well was reach out in that community. And as much as he had to dodge the, the Yankee associations and all these different things, you know, drag my Yankee ass out of here, all those, that, all those comments that he had to kind of, you know, defend himself with. That guy was involved. He was immersed. Are you saying that Leach is always going to be considered an outsider in Starkville? 
Well, I, I don't. I know people that are well plugged into that community, Connor. I mean, I'm not. I'm not just talking about, you know, idle fans. I'm talking about people that are part of that program that don't know him, have never met him, and that concerns me a little bit because ultimately you do need to do more than just coach. And, and I, I think he's a very good football coach, but I don't think he'll be successful. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let me let me stop myself for a second. If, if you win 10 or 11 games, you'll be successful whether you talk to anybody or not. But if, if, you're, in the, if you're in those gray areas where Leach, I think, will be, uh, you, need, you need support. Uh, and, and I'm not sure he's going to have that. Last time we talked on these airwaves, I said how you were like the batting practice pitcher. Sometimes nothing but center cut BP fastballs. Other times when I come on, it's like... 98 on the black last week on your show I, I think i might have actually handled the heater when, when i told you about my cincinnati playoff prediction and how i think that the bearcats if they go unbeaten that they're going to have a path to the playoff that's kind of like my spicy take for 2021 and you left that as an open-ended question so i don't know how much if that, that was like a heater on the black but do you have a, a spicy take for 2021 um, I think Liberty is going to be very good. I wouldn't make that a spicy take because I, I tried to figure out how Liberty could make the playoffs, and I, I really couldn't come up with a way, even if they went undefeated. That would mean they have a win at Syracuse and Ole Miss. Is that enough to get you in? Probably not. But I, I do think they're going to they're going to beat some teams. Um, I, the reason I didn't react to yours, I, I go into a Connor O'Gara interview sometime talking to myself. I don't know if you understand what I mean by that. I say to myself, don't react to everything this guy says. Uh, he's very smart. <laughs> he's very wily. Um, don't just, you know, I do that sometimes uh, because I, 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 have, I have a different philosophy than I used to. I, I try to let the, the guest is the, is the star, not, not the host. And I think in the past I would try to turn every, every guest into a deposition uh, in, in, a, in a nasty divorce case. And, and now I'm, I, I'd say, even if I just think that the take is absurd, which obviously I do when it comes to your Cincinnati take, I've decided not to react to it. <laughs> I've got another one. They, listen to this and tell me how absurd it is. It, it's, I, I think that, that Saban watches his two most notable streaks come to an end. That is, he loses to an assistant for the first time ever when Alabama travels to A&M, and then I think Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship, which would mark Saban's first loss to an SEC East team since South Carolina 2010. Am I crazy for predicting lightning to strike twice, or could you see both of those things happening? Uh, I don't think that's, that's so, so crazy. Um, I really don't. And I, I, even though I'm kind of boxed in thinking, and I say boxed in because I, I predict Alabama to win the national championship every every year. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, oh yeah. But but since 2000, literally, uh, I didn't do it in 08 because they were. It was, I would have been laughed off my perch. But starting in 2009, I, I predicted Alabama to win every year. The one I almost backed away in 2011, uh, and then I changed my mind at the last minute because uh, LSU was the convenient. So, okay. So uh, how many years is that? Uh, 09 to. Uh, uh, that's 12 20, years. 20, 20. Uh, so I, I, I've been, I've got about a 50% batting average. I think you would agree. Yeah. Wouldn't you? So that's, I don't know if there's anybody else in the country that's got a 50% batting average, uh, <laughs> on national chat. It's not, it's not that easy to do. Uh, everyone thinks it is. So, so I, I say that to you. I, 
I, I don't think this is a vintage Alabama team this year. I think there are, there are a lot of reasons to find fault in this team uh, if you just don't buy into the Alabama hype. Uh, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not laughing at your prediction there. Uh, I really, I, now, if we were on the, on the air live, I would go, well, oh, oh, Connor, what, what did you say? Um, and, and by the way, we will be on live now that I know what you're predicting. This will be a great, this will be a great television segment. That'll, that'll fuel four hours of, of, of show time. And sometimes I'll text one of your producers after going on and be like, hopefully I gave you something to talk about for the next hour or so. And they'll be like, yeah, perfect. That's all we need. Thanks, man. I appreciate because it. You don't, you don't understand, Connor, why, you, why you're such a great guest. I mean, there are a lot of really good, well, well-meaning sports guys uh, and women out there. But a lot of them just really like to stay on, in the middle of the road. Uh, and as a host, that, that drives me crazy. I want, I want Connor to say something like you just said, so I can try. How can you possibly say Nick Saban? Uh, you know, it, I mean, it's good television. It's good radio. It's good, it's good for the, the podcast viewer, uh, a listener the next morning. Uh, so, I, but, but I, 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 this Saban thing is not going to last forever in terms of these streaks. I mean, he, he knows that, um, and every every time that you know Saban, I, I can give you two t- two different times Saban could have walked away with a masterpiece. Uh, he could have walked away in seventeen after the Devonte Smith walk off. He could have walked away this past season, and we would all say the same thing both times: greatest coach ever. And he still will be, but you know, he's like that that brilliant. He's like that brilliant musician. Uh, I mean, did Paul McCartney really need to do anything? And once the Beatles broke up, no, uh, he'd already had more number one hits than anybody. But he went out and uh, and you know with with a forgettable group called Wings, he had what ten more number one hits, and he just put out a record a couple of months ago. And I listened to it on a plane. I'm like going, why did he do this? I mean, this is Paul McCartney. He doesn't need to be doing. Uh, so same as same as the same way. It doesn't really matter. But you know, you kind of you're talking to somebody who as as a 23 year old reporter. Uh, actually, I was 25, excuse me. I sat in the uh, press box at Bryant-Denny Stadium and covered Paul Bryant, that's Bear to some of you out there, lose for the first time in Bryant-Denny Stadium in, in 25 years. Do you know how painful that was to watch him lose to a Southern Miss team? It was his last home game, and then he lost his next game, which was his last game at Legion Field. And, you know, does anyone want to be brave enough to say the bear stayed a little bit too long? Well, he, he did, okay? Uh, I don't want to see Saban do that. And based on what you're saying, we may be watching it this year. Last one before some rapid fire to close. Uh, assuming you're on air for each of the next five years doing some man- mental math, that's 5,000 hours of radio, I think, give or take, you know, when, you know, you you take a little bit of vacation time, all that. I I think you might spend about 1,200 of those hours talking about Arch Manning. Have you mentally prepared for that? I haven't really thought about it. Um, I I remember interviewing Peyton when he was in high school. So uh, I've been around for the Manning clan. I even covered uh, a game Archie Manning played in, in, in the NFL. So I, I, I know the man, I've, I've been around the Manning family a long time. Um, I can't wait. Uh, where do you think he's going now? You think he's going to follow his, uh, his father? You think he's going to follow his uncle? Or, or is I he going think to that Texas where he thinks he's going? 
Yeah, the Texas. If I if I could take SEC versus the field, I think I'd take the field at this point. I think I'd I would put my chips on Texas or Clemson just so that he doesn't have to deal with some of the you know the rival stuff because that's one thing when I had Jeff Duncan of the Athletic on and he did the you know the the courting of Arch Manning story that so many people read. One of the things that I kind of looked at and thought, you know what, that actually makes a lot of sense was not wanting to deal with the the fan bases and not wanting to have to get that so much because if he goes to Ole Miss, if he goes to Tennessee, if he goes to Georgia, Alabama, he, that that's not escaping him. Maybe he still gets that at Texas. Maybe he still gets that at Clemson, but maybe not with the same degree of you know venom that that as you know SEC fan bases scorned are uh, they're a special bunch. But I, I would I would probably put my chips on one of those two teams. Yeah, I, I think there's a sharp connection that can't be dismissed. You know, the, I mean, Clemson is always there. It's hard to, it, it's it remains one of the hot schools. But yeah, I, I'm I think it's exciting. Uh, I really do. I, I mean, I I, I love covering uh, the Manning family. Uh, I think personalities like that are, are are just great for the game. And I. Uh, what, 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 what is now? Now Arch is what in the seventh grade? I've lost track of his progression now. <laughs> Junior year of high school, but as we know, with okay. the, you know the Quinn Ewers stuff, you know, could be who knows? You know, if he's going to get his senior year, I would tend to think that he's going to finish out his high school career and all that. But he's going to decide. Uh, apparently, he's deciding in the spring after his junior season. Okay, well, I will be. Uh, I will be watching very closely uh, if that's covered by, uh, by any network. <laughs> 1200 hours I'll, I'll track all that we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> let's uh let's close with some rapid fire here five questions first thing that comes to mind does that work for you it does perfect perfect all right the first year sec head coach that you're buying the most stock in is who that would be brian harson um i just mm. think he comes in better prepared uh, i'm not crazy about uh his his roster but I think he is the best prepared coach of the four. Uh, and, and I really don't think it's close. JT Daniels is underrated, overrated, or properly rated? I think he's properly rated. I, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I, know I know the naysayers have, the, have had their opinion, but I think he'll, he'll pretty much prove everyone wrong this year. All right, putting you on the spot here. If you could give an NIL deal to any athlete that you've ever covered, who would it be? Uh, wow. Uh, I, I think the one that I would, I, I would like working for me the most would be Johnny Manziel. I just think <laughs> that he would, uh, I mean, Johnny Manziel just personifies, uh, a college kid making money since he probably didn't, he, since he probably made so much while he was at Texas A&M. That's a good answer. I like that. He would have definitely given you a nice little little ROI there um, on any investment that you would have made on him. Um, all right. Question. I don't know if you've ever answered this before. How many pairs of glasses do you currently own? Uh, too many. Uh, the one thing, a lot of them I don't use much anymore. I, I, I used to get a couple of pair a year. It's been a while. Uh, uh, but I would think it's uh, probably two dozen. Okay, that's not as many as I thought. Not as many as I thought. We'll, we'll, we'll work to expand the, the collection, especially now with the new deal in place. So we'll make sure that number, uh, <laughs> that number ramps up a little bit. All right, last one. How different would your life be if you had gone to Big Ten Network three years ago? 
uh, I would be, uh, I would be suicidal. Um, I mean, I, I mean, can you imagine uh, walking away from the SEC? I mean, I, I would, I would, I, I'm not. And by the way, I, I don't mean to make fun of anyone who's who has mental health issues. I really, I really don't. But uh, I would be, I would be killed. I would be crying myself to sleep every night. Uh, I would, I would be distraught. I would weigh. I would weigh 41 pounds. I wouldn't be able to eat. And uh, my life would be over. <laughs> Paul, we'll leave it at that. This has been excellent. I uh, really appreciate the time. And uh, I'm sure we'll be, we'll be talking on your airwaves sometime soon. Can't wait. Connor, it's a pleasure. Thank you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out today, we're talking boat horror stories. I experienced one last Friday. Back in Orlando now, but I was essentially out of town for two weeks. Four days in Denver, four days in the suburbs of Chicago, four days up in the thumb of Wisconsin. Worked for most of it, um, but on Friday night, I was not working. I was in Door County, Wisconsin. Got to visit my mom's lake house for the first time. It was a blast. Friday night, though, our group of seven, which is part family, part family friends, we did a sunset boat tour. And I, I've done those before. There's one in down here, Dunedin, Florida, that we love to do, dolphin, sunset, cruise. Uh, we've done one in Santorini on our honeymoon. Incredible, pretty, pretty standard, most of them. You get on the boat, have a few drinks, stop at a few places for pictures, stop for the sunset, you call it a night. Two to three hours well spent on a boat, right? That's what I assumed this was gonna be like. Take a little ride around the bay, you have a couple drinks, two beer Connor might turn into three beer Connor, who knows, you enjoy a little live music, you call it a night. No, 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 no. That is not what they do up in Door County on these boat tours. It was a nightmare. So there was somewhere between like 150, 200 people on this thing. Okay. Had this the second level. So it wasn't a pontoon boat, but it was kind of a, a similar, it was bigger than a pontoon boat. I'm not, you know, I'm not exactly like a boat expert, so I don't know the official name of what this boat was, but you could go on the second level and there were a good amount of people up there as well. Those were the coveted spots. Um, but it turns out the back of the boat was the, the place to be. You couldn't stand on this thing. I think every one of those like 150 to 200 people all thought that they were gonna die at some point. Not only did we gun it around the bay for the <laughs> entire two hours, we never stopped. If taking pictures of sunsets was your thing, that just wasn't the cruise for you, as you found out while you were on it, fearing for your life. Some people were saying though, like on the boat, you know, the waters, they got choppy, so you're better off flooring it than you are just kind of sitting there in the middle of the water. I'll agree to disagree on that because it made no difference whatsoever. We were in the back of the boat, thankfully, we were kind of like the last ones on, but we would watch people attempt to come down the stairs and it would take 15 to 20 seconds of them like holding on to the rail and finding a moment to be able to take a step that they weren't gonna absolutely eat it. I've had people work very seasick because um, I, I usually have a pretty good stomach when it comes to like being on a boat. I'm not one of those people that like has to go on a cruise, take a bunch of medicine, whatever. And even that, like I had some moments where I'm like, this is, this is not great right now. 
the entire time, we didn't stop for maybe more than like five to 10 seconds. Had a beautiful view of the sunset. Did we stop? Nope. Just gunned it in the opposite direction. There was never any announcement about what we were looking at. Why was there never any announcement? <laughs> because there was live music. Oh, I don't no. want to say that, <laughs> it'd be unfair to say that it was the worst live entertainment that I've ever heard because I've heard worse at Gabriel's and Hoover. Wow. <laughs> That's karaoke. This was like, the best karaoke person at Gabriel's could probably, could probably own whatever live entertainment was on this boat. I'll just say that. But so, how were they, if everybody was like swaying back and forth, like how was their live band situation? Were they like strapped I have no idea. in? That was, that was the most impressive thing that they were able to actually sing through all that. They were a little bit pitchy. I don't know how <laughs> dependent they were on the, the sways. I don't know why, but they attempted some Stapleton songs. Bold. Real bold. The whole thing was just so bizarre. We were all just looking around the entire time like, what is going on? What, what in the world did we sign up for? And it's funny because before we got on the boat, people were barely checking our tickets. You could have snuck onto that boat and nobody would have ever known. Yet looking back, Maybe that's why it was so easy to sneak on. The people working the ticket booth are like, well, if you feel like dying tonight, go right ahead. We won't charge you. But anyway, I'm a survivor here today. Will I go on a boat again? Definitely. Will I go on that boat again? I will say it in Spanish for you, Will. No. Do you have any horrendous boat horror stories? Um, man. So... All right, so whenever something is like inconvenient to you, you're obviously kind of like a, a, a quirky type of guy. So some things that bother you don't really bother me. And so whenever you tell these sure. type of stories, I'm always like, okay, like how much of this is like a night? That was bad. That sounds horrible. That is like, ah, oh. and like, yeah, like, no, like you said, like, so there's some of those like, but it's like, okay, wow. So we're like really going through this. I love the uh, Florida thing. And yeah, I, I, again, the, the, um, probably violently Wisconsinite band that's just playing like they're on the Titanic, just playing their asses off for like two hours is my favorite thing about this. If if you go to a concert that's bad, you can walk out. If you, <laughs> you, go, to, if you go to a movie that's bad, you can't get off that freaking boat. You just can't. You're stuck there. You are stranded at sea, surrounded by bad music and bad boat driving. Horrendous, I don't recommend it. So my boot story is, as we're telling more personal stories, I'm really learning that I'm just a much more SEC person than I thought I was. Uh, so my dad always had a place in Pensacola. It's where he lives now. Uh, the Redneck Riviera, they call it. Panhandle, Florida. And uh, so we had like a little beach situation there. It wasn't like a beach house, but it was near the beach. Uh, so fun thing about Cajuns, I'm not going to stereotype my people, but a lot of us can't swim. Don't really have access to pools. That was never my situation. Mm -hmm. But there, the thing about the water in Louisiana is you don't really get in it. You get a boat. But if you're swimming in the water in Louisiana, you're a little cuckoo, as we say. So mm -hmm. anyway, so we, ha we have a boat one day. We were in a boat. My dad was like a very good swimmer growing up. He was like on the swim team and everything. My mom can't swim. Um, so, you know, my dad's like mooring the boat or whatever you say. He's tying it off. Uh, and the boat starts like floating away. Right? My mom's on the boat and there's no like rope. Like he couldn't catch it quick enough because she starts drifting away. So he's like yelling at her how to like crank it and the motor dies. Right? So, oh, my, no. so my mom can't swim. She's drifting into the Gulf of Mexico. Can't stress that enough. Into the Gulf of Mexico. And my dad was like faced with a decision. Right? Because I was like three. I was on the shore. 
And like, this is like my dad's most epic dad story of all time. Like he tells this to this day. My dad handed me a Diet Coke. He was like, Will, my dad's very Southern. Will, guard this Diet Coke with your life. Don't let anything happen to it. So it was a brilliant parenting tactic because it, I stuck it in the sand and just stared at this Diet Coke. My dad then just took off like Michael Phelps and like stood like swimming into the Gulf of Mexico, grabs the boat. My mom is like screaming the whole time, like, go watch Will, let me die, don't care. Cause like, as we've discussed, my mom's like the water boy mom, doesn't really care if it comes to me, just wants me to be okay. So my mom's like screaming at my dad and my dad's just like, nope, Sandy, I'm saving it. He like puts one thing on the boat, like pulls it in, like shoves it into the, into the land. He like gets on the gets on the land and I'm just like crying. He's like, what's up? And I was like, a wave knocked over the Diet Coke. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so that's my dad's like apex story. He's like, yeah, remember that time I saved your mom? <laughs> so let me get this straight. Your dad told you stare at this bottle of Diet Coke. He said, guard this Diet just Coke with your life. Well, he's saying guard it with your life in hopes that he's distracting you from wandering into the water. Correct? Like that's... But well, hold on, because this is the bad parenting part of it. He's scared of me wandering into traffic <laughs> because I'm a okay, smooth, that's, that's like, bad. I'm going to say 30 to 50 feet from, like, the interstate. Or not the interstate, but the really busy road going onto the beach. So it's a gamble by him. That's hand. a brilliant move. That is a brilliant parenting move, though. I will say that. To have the presence of mind to understand... If my son stares at this Coke bottle and isn't looking out and wandering into the water, wandering into the water, um, shout out Moana, or going the opposite direction into traffic, your odds are decent, I think. And he didn't even have an iPad to give you to distract you. Just guard that bottle of Diet Coke. And you did. Well, to the best of your abilities. Did my best. Bet it off. Man, you're lucky that you weren't eight for that and you're only three. Oh yeah because like any so more advanced worse. brain i would have been freaking out but i didn't even see it happen i was so young i was just like okay i'm watching this coke and then my dad just comes in uh, uh, i was like hey what's up the things we learn when we we're three exactly never-ending list i asked the facebook group if they had any boat horror stories got a few of these that i want to be able to share kobe black says i went fishing with a buddy of mine at horseshoe lake we were using the limb slash jug line method. He was driving, so I was checking and baiting the hooks. One of the hooks was under some overgrowth, so I had to get really low to check one of them. While I was stomach down on the front of the boat, my buddy suddenly says, I want you to be absolutely still while I back the boat out. My first instinct was to panic, but I'm glad I trusted my friend. When he backed out, he pointed me to a very large snake that was coiled up on one of the lower branches about a foot above my head. If I had known, one of us would have ended up, in quotes, sleeping with the fishes. Oh. So the first thing I would do if I were Kobe is go back and look up what kind of snake it was just to know how close to death I was in that moment. That's what you need to be able to figure out. Would, would that snake, because you know, if you get a garden snake or something like that, it's a little bit different. But if he's saying it's very big, I imagine that's not your garden variety of snake. So if that thing had gotten a hold of you, how quickly would you have died is, is one thing I would need to know. Go back and replay that in my mind a million times. Two, I would thank that friend a lot because if you freak out in any sort of way, just like your dad will, 
if you freak out in the wrong way in that in that scenario, someone ends up sleeping with the fishes. It's Gosh, always the it's always the simple advice in these big moments. Just don't move. It's all you need. And if you trust your buddy, you're just not moving. You go figure it out later. When I'm on a pl- on on a boat that's rocking and I feel like I gotta hold on for dear life, just, just don't move. Just stabilize yourself. Very similar experiences that we had, obviously. Nick Ruark says, went to Kentucky Lake for an extended weekend vacation when I was younger. Went with my family and family friends. The pontoon we rented began to sink a few hours after taking off. Luckily, we were able to make it back to the dock before it actually sank. We found out later that the boat had been run aground during its last use, but it had been repaired. The scary part was that the group that was with us didn't know how to swim and they were a bit scared about the prospect of the boat sinking. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. But like I said, we made it back and the company was very sorry and refunded us the money and offered us a different boat to use for the rest of the weekend free of charge. I would hope. (laughs) I would hope, I wouldn't assume in this day and age, but I would hope that you got that, that ride refunded. I would have a tough time getting back on a boat immediately after that. If the company's like, this voucher's only good for the rest of the weekend, I'm gonna say, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna chill for this weekend. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just do some land activities to, to fill the rest of my, my time here and, uh, and, and just hope for the best next time, whenever that may be. I've never been on a, a sinking ship. I have often, as many people I'm sure listening to this have, would think about, what the final two hours on the Titanic would have looked like back in the day. You can't, okay, people are gonna say that's weird. You can't watch that movie and not think about what you would do in those moments, right? Right, yeah, that's fair, yeah. Would you be in the band, playing an instrument, knowing you were going down with a ship? Or would you be trying to find every possible way to survive? Would you just be able to think in think clearly in those spots i don't know i don't know haven't been in that spot don't plan on it not sure why i just compared nick's sinking boat that he was able to survive just fine to the titanic it's funny because you said that about titanic i was like what's the first thing you do pretend to be a child but i'm like six two so that wouldn't even work so i'd probably i'd probably die but anyway well (laughs) the villain the villain he he snuck on he paid that guy all that money spoiler alert if you haven't seen it if you haven't um, seen titanic kind of, i don't know what to tell you at this point <laughs> the guy who tries to steal rose not the best dude right <laughs> tries to get on that boat um did not have the best life i don't think so i he survived i'd say this about a pontoon boat that's a little bit different it's like this is number one tragic story hate to see that that had to be terrifying you know especially people that can't swim i Gosh. you know I would like to see the conversation that happened when y'all realized the pontoon boat was sinking because those things are big and they're buoyant. And so you had to be sitting there yeah. and you're like, now hold on, <laughs> wait a minute, something ain't right. And then it's like, okay, how do you communicate that? Like, how? okay, so we're sinking, nobody panic, we need to get to land now. You know what I'm saying? Cause like there had to be a certain amount of sinking to where it was like obvious enough to where it was like, we gotta do something. Oh yeah. And you know there's that one person who noticed it way early. It was like, this boat's not looking the same. And everyone was like, Ted, shut up, bro. Whatever. And it's like, gosh, I'm telling you. <laughs> Another reminder why you should probably have at least a sober person. person <laughs> not you. <on> the boat. <laughs> not, not to Beer Connor. 
you got to have at least one sober person because that's the type of thing that if you're just having a good time, you're probably not going to process that in the same sort of way. Right. At least I would think. Again, never been in that spot. What's the conversation like with the boat company when you get back? What do they say? Do they look you in the eye and say, ah, I thought we had that fixed. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get, them. we'll get them next time. I don't know. No idea. Had to be awkward, though. Oh yeah, don't I mean, end you we've, for going through. We've that. we've talked about you know things that we let our our significant others handle and things we handle. The boat sinking that's a Will Ogburn issue. That's hey buddy, <laughs> we're about to have words anyway. We're about to have a lawsuit, my friend. We'll end with this one. Speaking of pontoons, Michael Dark he says, "We took a pontoon boat onto a pretty deep lake, uh oh, in the northern part of the Lower Peninsula of." Michigan when I was probably eight or nine. We had to evacuate because it was sinking. I haven't been on a boat since then and I'm 31. First of all, shout out to 31 year olds. Just don't get on a pontoon. Don't get on a pontoon boat. I did it in college. Did a lot of things in college, probably shouldn't have. That's my takeaway from this entire thing. If you get on a pontoon, it will sink. It probably won't end well. If you own a pontoon boat, Double check it, triple check it. Make sure that sucker is good to go out on water because it seems like if you were to sink, theoretically speaking, a pontoon boat would be most likely because of the, like you said, the way that it is kind of shaped. If, if you got a yacht, all right, your yacht is built in a different sort of way. I feel like if you're gonna cut corners on a boat, you're probably cutting those corners with a pontoon. Yep. You're not doing the sailboat. Not doing it with a little rowboat. No, no, no. It's a pontoon. And that, that would not end particularly well. I've so, never gotten sketched out that. getting on a pontoon boat before reading this, but as everyone's saying, it's like, duh, of course, that's kind of sketchy that people patch up pontoon boats. And now, like, then it's like, what's the next step? It's like, well, I'm not, I'm not, am I going to be sketched out from now on? And I immediately just went, yeah, am I going to be like a dad that, you know, when you're like, you go to the grocery store, your dad would always thump on the water <laughs> I'll be, I'll be on those pontoons, just like, bong, bong, we, we hearing anything? We, we full? We feeling good? You need a full inspection of that sucker. Yeah, you gotta be the one buzzkill for a second. Be like, y'all see any holes? Any tape? Anything that could be a hole? You know how I said when we were on the boat, they pretty much just let us on? Mm-hmm. I'm not just, I'm not trying to sneak onto a pontoon boat. Unless maybe if it has a slide, in which case I could probably get talked into it. Because slides on pontoon boats, those look really fun. You've seen them before. You just get, get to go from the very top level. Yeah, you, you've been there. You know, you know what I'm talking about. People have been on those, I think. That was a big deal in college back in the day. Get a group of like 12 people, go out on a pontoon boat, had a slide. Hopefully it doesn't sink. Hope for the best. Everybody out here gets pontoon boats on Lake Lanier, and that just feels like you're sitting at two strikes whenever you hop on that thing. Anyway. Yikes. Hopefully nobody's going on a pontoon boat this weekend. And if you are, sorry. Um, Texas. Texas. Uh, Check it. You know, Make sure you- Facebook group. We might have saved you. Check Don't in. be mad at us. Be safe. That's yes. what we want. Be safe. Check every inch of that sucker <laughs> before you step on it. All right. Uh, we got another pod that's dropping this Friday for everyone. Again, two pods a week. We're doing that the rest of the year. Schedule's gonna change a little bit during the season. Probably, I think we're gonna end up doing like a Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Thursday type of deal. 
when that all gets going, but we have so much content right now on SaturdayDownSouth.com. If you didn't read all of our top 25 week stuff, you should totally do that. It is crystal ball season. Each and every day on SaturdayDownSouth.com, a new crystal ball story is going up. We're predicting every single game of the SEC football season this year. So I'm gonna be held accountable for all that stuff. I think I'm gonna do a little bit more crystal ball on Thursday slash Friday when the later week pod drops and then again next week as well. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe, go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with figuring it out. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.